bigger parties and there'll be like 30 people, 25 people, 40 people. And I was like working these parties in such an annoying way that I just didn't spend any time with my friends, my guests. Got to the point where I was literally joking around like we need an Uber for party staff. That's what we need. Create a profile, put in your schedule, um, and then get like jobs on the fly, be like a freelancer. Would that be something that you'd be interested in? And he said, yeah, it was for Paris. And um, I told her about the, you know, she, she saw the app, she used the app with me. And I didn't know that. We got an agreement with her and she came on to our team. Six years ago, would you get into somebody's private car? Would you Hell go no. and rent somebody's <laughs> private apartment? No, you, it's just not something you think about. Yeah. So, so there's that awareness problem that we're, we've been addressing. We're doing vetting, we have insurance. We allow for communication and we're completely transparent with the pricing. What do you think the biggest lesson you you know you learned from it was from from spending time in your dad's uh, business? Honesty. All right, fine. I'll sell it to you for a dollar. And uh, he gave me a dollar. <laughs> yeah. And then one of his friends was like, I want one too. So I had my first order. And for a few days, I would make these cardboard houses and sell them to my classmates for a buck. You collect, ironed money? I, I ironed my money and made my sister absolutely insane. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Either I'm, if you don't want to take over my partnership, then we're going to close down. One of the most interesting and crazy times of my life. Integrity is everything. My friend Kurt got me involved in a web business that he was starting. So this is about oh. two, 2000, all right? I guess I have to get a real job. Yeah. I found this position at GE Power Systems up in Schenectady. It was extremely boring but I learned a lot about process and a lot about uh, the way organizations work. Cubicle hell, cubicle suicide, it felt like every time I walked into that place. Does anybody like a desk job? Yeah, there were people there that were there for like 20, 30 years and they were totally happy. Yeah. And I just remember looking at them going, that's never gonna be me. Kurt got back into my life. He's like, you know, I'm doing this thing called telemedicine. 2004, web streaming video was not really a thing yet and it was really difficult and expensive to do. Put together a business plan, we started pitching it. We raised a little bit of money, about $50,000. And I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna quit my job. A little too early to market. We didn't do enough market research to really see if it was a viable option. It didn't work out. But what we had built, interestingly enough, to supplement the product was a personal health record. Because what doctors want to see is when we're talking to their patients, people were actually using the health record for their own benefit. We said, all right, we're going to stop the telemedicine, focus on the PHR, the personal health record. We couldn't monetize it enough to make that profitable. But we did have, um, I forgot how many customers we had, but we had thousands in the thousands. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it was pretty good, but we weren't making any money. We could compliment one another. Um, yeah, he, he just is such a, he can be such an abstract thinker. And he's extremely intelligent, very, you know, cerebral in one direction. And I am on an, at a different level, if I want to call myself that way. But um, so we were a good compliment. We didn't step on, on one another's toes, which was, which was good. Another job opportunity in upstate New York uh, at Department of Transportation. Um, it was a project management job. And within six months, we hit our target. We delivered. They saved a billion and a half dollars from being lost. You're coming from from an era where it's like, you spend 30 years at the company, you get your retirement package. Did you say I come from an era? 
I think, I, you I think that's the first time anyone's ever said that to me. You don't? Are we in the no, same? But I, I agree with you. We're not in the same generation. No, we're not. While I was at DOT, I started a, a company that was a consulting company. And I said to myself, as soon as I get my first client, I'm going to quit my job yeah. and I'm going to figure out what happens next. You okay. should just build this platform where you could just pay your rent online. And I, being uh, people of integrity, decided we're going to eat the money yeah. and we're going to pay the people who got defrauded. There was much risk in it. And at the same time that was happening, Venmo started to show up on the horizon and other services like that. And it sort of invalidated the business model anyway. Lap, I didn't know anything about mobile app development. Um, so, you know, Dax was like, they're one of the best engineers. So I bounced the idea off of him and you know, like, let's just do, do some research and try to find out if this is even like a viable option. So we did that for a few months, um, did some surveys, went around to tons of data profile, put in your schedule um, and then get like jobs on the fly, be like a freelancer. Would that be something that you'd be interested in? I can't repeat that mistake. How do I not repeat that mistake? I need to, I need to verify and vet this idea before I really go too deep into a rabbit hole. Not taking those incremental steps to continuously vet, or, uh, vet and verify the product as it's progressing. Yeah. And it's a ridiculous mistake for me to make personally because when I go and coach product development teams, I'm always telling them this. Yeah. So it's like, here I am, it not eating your own dog food. Eating my own dog food. Who were in in a similar space, or who had other startup companies that exited, or were okay. So here's know, here's what I want to know. Give me a concrete step. The host side of the app that wasn't even built. We just had the worker side, so we simulated the host experience. We were like, before so we even build it, it was in Brooklyn, and we're like, you're gonna get a party invite at some point. You know, open up your app as soon as you get the push notification. Apply for the job. Uh, so we did that in August and it worked. So so immediately on the first time, like you actually had people wanting to work. Yep. We saw that there was this big party in NoHo. First person I talked to, they were like, yeah, it was sick party. It was for Paris Hilton and you know, whatever. I was like, that's kind of weird. So I called up the next person and a few days later I called up Glenn again. I was like, hey, you know, Thanks. She was like, he was like, she wants to meet up with you and yeah. talk to you about maybe doing something with you. And I was like, okay, sure. Were you like quaking in your boots? No, not really. You know, the thing that made, it was kind of surreal. There, uh, we chatted for like 15 minutes um, and she gave me some of her thoughts about Roxy and she was like, um, I want to talk more about it with you for like half a day. Um, and we kind of like worked through what we were thinking as a partnership as like her involvement. It's going on with Uber and Lyft and, and the, whole, yep, the whole gig economy. Yeah. Um, we're sort of to be helpful to them to make their lives a little bit better, raise the seed round. You know, we're able to sustain the model right now. New York and LA, but not unofficially LA. We had a lot of organic use in LA. It's like, you would, you know, six years ago, would you get into somebody's private car? Would you Hell go no. and rent somebody's <laughs> private apartment? No, you. it's just not something you think about. Yeah. So so there's that awareness problem that we're, we've been addressing. Fancy. We don't, we, yeah. If we're made to wait, we don't like it. If I wasn't hanging out with you, I'd already be across the street. <laughs> we are, um, we have a degree of vetting that we provide to the host. You know, that's like on the verification side. Then we allow, we're doing vetting, we have insurance, 
we allow for communication and we're completely transparent with the pricing. I know you've had a, a, a decent track record, mm -hmm. a great track record, and you haven't hit a, a home run yet, but I think that all of that is scar tissue and, and yeah. I think you're in the, so how do you think you've grown? I don't know everything and probably know, uh, there's more things I don't know than I do know and that it's okay not to know those things. The things that I learned over the last you know, decade or so of trying and failing, trying and failing, had some success, had some success in my personal you know, consulting business, has sort of illuminated that for me. It's like you need to have that awareness that you're not an island by yourself. You actually need help. Yeah. Hello, Startup Hunters. Thank you guys so much for listening. This podcast would be nothing without you. And also, this podcast is a startup, so I need all the help that I can get. Would you please leave me a good review in the App Store? This would be huge. That's it. On to the episode. That's a good thing. Welcome to Startup Hunter. I am here with Pat Guarilla of nice. Roxy, which is be in the moment. Think parties, think getting the right staff to your party, and all of those great things. Now, Pat, on this show, so what I want to know, Pat, is where were you born? And also, what did your parents do? Hmm. So I was born in Catskill, New York, which is like, it's about an hour and 45 minutes, two hours north of here. Yeah. So my parents, um, yeah, they, uh, a little side, <laughs> side action there. Um, my, uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I have a sister, she's a bit older than I am. And uh, stay-at-home mom raised us. Uh, my parents were married uh, for quite a while. Um, my dad was an antiques dealer, had his own business, so he was an entrepreneur himself. That's kind of where I got my, uh, my interest in business, it was really watching him you know, grow his own company and you know make that happen. Interesting. Yeah. So do you think any of uh, your dad's entrepreneurship rub rubbed off on you? Did you spend time with him when you were a kid in his, his shop? Oh yeah, yep. Um, Talk about that. Yeah, so for, I don't know, maybe the first 10 years of my life, I kind of just visited my dad's store on the weekends, you know, watched him work. And then probably about 11 or 12, I started going helping him out on the weekends. He would just take me for like a day and I would, you know, do some cleaning, um, talk to customers, look at antiques, look at paintings. Uh, as I got a little older, um, I started to really know that business quite well. Uh, we had antiques all over our house, so oh. it was like really easy to uh, understand what I was looking at. What do you think the biggest lesson you, you, know, you learned from, it was from, from spending time in your dad's uh, business? Honesty. Yeah. Just being honest with people, uh, being direct with customers, being direct with people that were his suppliers. Um, he built up an amazing reputation in the Northeast for that. And he was, you know, well known for his integrity um, and customer service, you know, and good competitive pricing, which I thought was, I would say those are the big lessons and big takeaways. Yeah, customer service, you know, it's huge. Um, so let's let's take this from a different angle though. Let's go back again. And I want you to remember and think about what was one of the first hustles that you ever had <laughs> as a kid? Like you didn't have to necessarily okay. change um, your hands, money changing hands, but you well, know. there was. Okay. So yeah, there's two things that come to mind. First, I was in 
I think I was in first grade or maybe <laughs> kindergarten. And I had come to school. Yeah, I, I come to school with a cardboard house that I had made. Yeah. And yeah, it was pretty cool. Was, right, let's show people the traffic. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so I had this, uh, let's go this way. Yeah, I had made this little cardboard house that um, you know, had windows and doors and the doors opened up and stuff like that. And I showed my friend Lance and he was like, this is amazing. Not Lance Armstrong. No, not Lance Armstrong. Um, although he is a contemporary. Um, I showed my friend Lance, he was like, I want one of these, I'll I'll buy it from you. And I was like- A cardboard house? Yeah, this little cool cardboard house. So I was like, Wait, is right. it one big enough that you could fit in? No, no, it was like, it was like this big. Okay. It was really tiny. But it was cool looking, you know, kindergarten or first grade. I don't remember how old we were. And um, so I was like, all right, fine. I'll sell it to you for a dollar. And uh, he gave me a dollar. <laughs> yeah. And then one of his friends was like, I want one too. So I had my first order. And for a few days, I would make these cardboard houses and sell them to my classmates for a buck. Yeah. That was my first, um, maybe that was my first business. Now, did this did this business model scale? Did you start doing the other grades or? Oh, yeah. It, did yeah, it take I, off I, like I well? went across the United States <laughs> selling. They were wildly flying off the shelves. Yeah. No, no, it didn't. That was it. It lasted maybe a few days and... Uh, yeah, I had to think of another business to get into at some point. Still, the the seeds of hustle, you know, yeah. right there. You could have just been, you could have just been like, no, I want the house all for myself. Like, <laughs> a lot, lots of kids would have been, but you somehow saw business opportunity there. But and... the thing is, though, is I enjoyed making the houses. Uh huh. So like, it wasn't that big of a deal for me to sell this one because I got to then have the opportunity to make another one, and make a little bit of money. There you which go. Which was kind of cool. So, did you reinvest that money back into the business? Did you, <laughs> did you? I bought more cardboard, yeah. <laughs> more markers. <laughs> uh, or, or did you buy candy? You know? I or... have no idea what I did with that money. Probably <laughs> I ironed it yeah. when I got home. I was probably like, <laughs> I, I did that for a while. So I would you collect, ironed money? I, I ironed my money and made my sister absolutely insane uh, because she never was able to save money and I was good at saving money when I was a kid. And uh, she just would just be, very pissed off. So good at making money and good at saving it. Yeah, I mean, what was I going to spend? I was like, you know, eight. Right. What am I going to buy? Bubble gum, yeah, baseball cards. Yeah, that's about it. Then when I was in uh, college, so I didn't really do anything other than go to my dad's store and like help him out on the weekend. But don't undersell that. that that's so, I mean, that was so formative. It totally was. Um, so in college, one of my father's friends had um, that was also an antiques dealer, but he was doing so at a, a different scale, um, de dealing with more imported stuff. And he would often get paid in awkward, weird ways. One, one time he got paid with two tractor trailers full of boxed garbage bags. So he uh -huh. had no. <laughs> almost like 500 cases of these industrial sized garbage bags, like this one right here that we're going to pass right by. Sure. That um, you would find in uh, Home Depot. Right. So <clears throat> I had, uh, he had, I was dating his daughter at the time, and he was like, you know, I got all these bags. I need to unload these bags. Do you have any ideas? He had no idea what the, he's an antique dealer. He's uh -huh. got like 500 cases of garbage bags and two tractor trailers. So I'm like, well, no, I don't really have any ideas. And I thought about it for a little while, and I was living with my friend Chris, and I was like, I don't know. This is an opportunity to sell all these bags. What can we do? So we started looking around. I was living in, in uh, on the Upper West Side, and we were walking around. I'm like, "Look, 
there's garbage bags everywhere. Uh -huh. These buildings all need garbage bags. Sure. So we're like, we're just gonna go and go to every super and every building in our neighborhood and just see if we can like sell them at a small margin. And that's what we tried to do. And so we came up with this company name called It's In The Bag. And we created all these order forms and cards and we started talking to people. And we hit an absolute dead end every single place that we went to. Okay. And the reason for it was something that we had not anticipated, which was every super, every building owner already has agreements with the sanitation companies who are controlled right. by big families, right? So they were like, we don't care that you're giving it to us at like 30% discount compared to what we're already buying it from. We can't buy it from you. Yeah. Every single place. So yep. we tried that for, I don't know, a month and we realized, okay, nope, it's not gonna happen. So I didn't make any money on that. We never even sold one. I, I think we actually did sell one box. Still, it was a good lesson. It was a good lesson. Yeah, do so, some research. So I, were you already out of college at this point? No, did I you was, go to college? Yeah, I did. I went to Fordham right here in the city. Yep. Um, What'd you study? Political science. And so did you go into the State Department? You know, what did you, did, did well, you work that, for a congressperson? Uh, what'd you do with that degree? Well, that my, my plan was to um, go into like foreign service. So I was actually on like more of a foreign service track. I was trying to get into like an intelligence line. Um, but my pet, 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 uh, Guarilla, uh, yeah. <laughs> it didn't pan out. So what happened? I did graduate. Um, he likes his martini shaken. That's, that's right. Um, while I was in school, my dad started another business with a couple of partners, which was a high end auction gallery in Woodstock, New York. Yeah. So Woodstock is, um, super, you know, you would know Woodstock from it's uh, you know the concert, but it's like a high-end hippie town. You know, that's, it's, a, that's it's absolutely right. Sort of yep. like Boulder or yep. Santa Fe or Santa Monica. Yeah. Or um, they probably should have stopped being hippies like 30 years ago, but somehow they still are, and now they have money. Exactly. That's basically what it is. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So my dad started this business with a couple of partners to create this high-end auction gallery, and he was running them simultaneously, and he had no time. And so as I was getting older, I started to get much more knowledgeable about, you know, fine art, antiques, auctions. And they were having a little bit of difficulty in that business. So he said, you know, why don't you come with me? Um, why don't you start coming up on the weekends and um, we will we'll give you a, a job there. Basically, it's like make sure everything's running well. And so I would do that for a few months. By the time I got done with school, my dad was like, I can't do this anymore. Either I'm, if you don't want to take over my partnership, then we're going to close down. Uh -huh. And his part, his job was to source all the merchandise, to go to vendors, create these large scale auctions. And the other partners were more on the operations side. So I said, all right, I'll do it. Okay. I, can po I can postpone going to graduate school. So it was a good opportunity. It was like maybe 15 people that would be working for me. And I was like, all right, it's a great opportunity for management. It's a great opportunity for me to run a business. Yeah, 15 um, people is that's a yeah, lot of it was it was a pretty good sized organization for up there and um i did that for about three years and it was one of the most interesting and crazy times of my life you should probably go this way yeah, yeah. nyu uh, i want to yeah, go this yeah. way um 
So I did that for three years and literally almost went insane from doing it because well, well, of the hours and the, the problems that we encountered. There was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we had sold merchandise that was not maybe legitimately acquired. Uh-huh. We thought we were legitimately acquiring it, but the people we got it from wound up being, um, not always, but some of them were not legitimate themselves. We'll yeah. just leave it at that. Anyway, it did create a lot of chaos in my life, uh, but I learned some really important things from that, which was, you know, again, integrity is everything. Um, hard work, you know, spend time doing the research that you need to. I learned about marketing. I learned about, you know, organizational management at a small degree. Um, and really had to work with people, which was mostly what I had to do. So that was pretty, that was pretty cool. All right. So you, you, you got tired of doing your, your father's high-end uh, antique business. Yep. So what was the next move? Uh, well, I was completely broke. So I um, barely paid myself while I was there because the business was just like staying above water. And um, I decided- so it's, it's basically like, I don't ever want this to happen to me again. How can I Yeah. How can I improve yes, exactly. in the next move? So I um, was like, well, I'm gonna retire. Retire, I mean, resign. I, find, I, I wanted to retire, but that wasn't an option. So I resigned and- um, What do you think, that way? This way, and my friend hey, that's Kurt. Nice and quiet. Yeah, my friend Kurt uh, that I went to school with got me involved in a web business that he was starting. So this is about two, two thousand. So we were, he was just starting to think about. All right, we're going to build some websites for some local companies in the area, uh, and he helped bring me into that. To you know, because he was by himself, and um, so the two of us did that for. I don't know, maybe about a year and a half, two years. We actually made some money. We were building websites for uh, car dealerships for the most part with the occasional other company that we uh, would build sites for. We were doing like VR 360 panoramas inside of cars. So this was in 2000. It was actually kind of yeah. cool. Like, it is super cool. Yeah. Super early. Yep. Okay, so did that lead on to major brands or? Nope. Um, we weren't making enough money for me to like sustain myself long term and there's only so many car dealerships that we can hit up in the area in the area and other businesses that would be interested in our services so at some point i said all right i guess i have to get a real job yeah so i uh worked at i, I found this position at ge power systems up in schenectady uh it was for like a ba you know business analyst project manager position totally underqualified probably for it but you know I guess I looked good on the resume and I think I got the job because I showed up in the middle of a blizzard yeah and uh, the office was closed except for the person that I was supposed to have the meeting with so that's like that that yeah. serendipity right yeah, there it was and um, I ended up staying there for um, oh gosh like maybe three years yeah and um, that was really interesting as well because you know corporate america my first involvement there uh it was extremely boring but i learned a lot about process and a lot about was uh, there, the way organizations work was it was there too much process was it was the organization not nimble enough 
Was they were not nimble at all. I mean, they were they were practicing Six Sigma lean process, but that didn't mean that they were nimble. They were just really good at measuring and analyzing things, uh-huh. which is what I got to be good at while I was there. Uh, so, I mean, that did teach me some interesting things, but man, I was like, it was like cubicle hell, cubicle suicide, it felt like every time I walked into that place. So you were locked in the desk? Work. Yeah, I hated it. Does anybody like your desk job? Yeah, there were people there that were there for like 20, 30 years and they were totally happy. Yeah. And I just remember looking at them going, that's never gonna be me. I, I don't I think, can't I do think it. entrepreneurs, I think there's something about us. We can't, like, we can't stand the structure. Um, it just, it goes against our grain. Yeah, it's like a bird in a bird cage, basically. Exactly. You know? Um, yeah. So, how long did you last at GE? I think I was there until about 2004. So four years. Yep, about four years, three and a half years. Is enough to make some money and get sick of it? Yep, I had enough money, was able to save a little bit of money, so I was feeling a little bit more comfortable with my lifestyle. Uh, And again, my friend Kurt got back into my life and he was like, he was in med school at the time. He was like, you know, I'm doing this thing called telemedicine. And I have this idea where we could do virtual telemedicine. In 2004, web streaming video was not really a thing yet, and it was really difficult and expensive to do, but we decided we're gonna try to incorporate remote telemedicine capabilities to local hospitals and to doctor's offices. So we created this platform. We actually built it with the help of his brother. Um, and we, I started to... Um, oh, that was a car. That was, that was okay. what was throwing me off. Yeah, sure. Um, so this is still while I'm at GE. I started to do a little moonlighting on the side. And we uh, put together a business plan. We started pitching it. We raised a little bit of money, about $50,000. And I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to quit my job. And I was already not really doing anything at GE. They were just kind of like keeping me there for some reason. I don't know why. I, would, I was very efficient at my work, but I was so bored so i decided to quit my job and just go try to get this thing going so how did that go not well (laughs) we were a little too early to market we didn't do enough market research to really see if it was a viable option um but we you know we kept iterating on the idea of telemedicine of telemedicine yes of telemedicine through web so they were doing telemedicine through like isdn lines and like fixed point telemedicine but that's not what we were trying to do. We we're actually trying to make it more nimble, more flexible, um, available to more local places that couldn't afford these expensive lines. So it didn't work out. But what we had built, interestingly enough, to supplement the product was a personal health record. Because what doctors want to see is when they're talking to their patients is also what's their medical history, right? So we built this platform that allowed the patients to input their personal health record information. And we started to try integrate these electronic medical record systems. So it was sort of like a combined platform where you had this VR telemedicine capability and their health record side by side. Did you ever get any customers? We did. So we stopped the telemedicine side. We started realizing that people were actually using the health record for their own benefit, right? So we said, all right, we're going to stop the telemedicine, focus on the PHR, personal health record. 
I can hear you. I'm back. I can hear you from yeah. a mile away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we did that, continued to do that for a little while. We couldn't monetize it enough to make that profitable. But we did have, um, I forgot how many customers we had, but we had thousands in the thousands. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it was pretty good, but we weren't making any money. <laughs> so at were some you point- Were making revenue? Very little, like we had a little bit of ads. We were, you know, and that was pretty much it. We couldn't figure out how to actually make money with it. And that was part of the problem. And the buried entry into the hospitals and the health organizations was just too high. Right, they, they, they move at a glacial pace. Yeah. And you really have to know uh, what you're doing. Yeah. I, I, this is like crazy central. Yeah. <laughs> West 4th. That's where we are exactly. right now. This is... It smells this, good though. This is the West Village. This is where the hippie revolution exactly was. Yeah. Um, it's really noisy and that is what it is. We're gonna go that way, because that way is yeah. even noisier. Yeah. So, okay, so you you had a, a really close experience. Um, you still are hitting a wall. Yep. But you're with the same guy, um, uh, Kurt. Kurt. Yep. And um, which I like because it's sort of like a band. The more you play together, yeah, the better you get. You understand each other's the way each other thinks. Yeah, and we were a very good complement to one another. Um, you know, he he just is such a he can be such an abstract thinker. He's extremely intelligent, very you know, cerebral in one direction, and I am on an, in a different level, if I want to call myself that way. But, um, so we were a good compliment. We didn't step on, a, on one another's toes, which was, which was good. Yeah, I, I think ha it, having a good business partner is, is so, people don't realize how lucky they are. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, when they get a good business partner. It's better than a marriage. Yeah, well, I can't say that. <laughs> Does that mean? No, I, I was too quick to say, yeah. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, but so double red light. Yeah, that's official. Cool. So that didn't work out, by the way. So we didn't make any money, and at some point, I was like, uh, I think I'm broke again. Yeah, I think I need to get a job. Sure. So, but this, but this, by this point, I had I had some really interesting experience, and you know, everything from the auction gallery to trying these different little side hustles and businesses. Uh, and working at GE, it did give me a very well-rounded perspective on on business and on management and on products. Uh, but I was broke, basically, and I needed to get some employment. So I I got another job opportunity in upstate New York uh, at Department of Transportation. Um, it was a project management job. They needed somebody to turn around this massive project that was costing the state millions and millions of dollars a year, and they had $1.5 billion um, at stake from the feds. So they were going to lose a billion and a half dollars if they didn't turn this project around. Uh-huh. You got I excited by you got I didn't know about it. <laughs> what were you gonna say? I'm sorry. You got excited by the number, but the job sounds really boring. Well, I didn't know about that number until after I was hired. Yeah. They're like there's this challenging project and I was really needing a job. So yeah. I was like, okay, I can, I'll, I should be able to do this. Sure, why not? Um, so I got involved in that and uh, quickly started to realize that this was a 
futile effort. It was never going to turn around. Even though you were getting a steady paycheck. Even though I was getting a steady paycheck. So I confronted the leadership at DOT and I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. This The way you have things structured right now, you're dead in the water. It's never going to work. And I said, we have to try something pretty radical. And so I introduced this concept of agile, um, you know, scrum, which is a, is a adaptive way of working to the state to experiment with this team. And they, for some reason, let me do it. Yeah. So I got my team trained, I got myself trained. Um, and within six months, we hit our target, we delivered. They saved a billion and a half dollars from being lost. Uh, we got a lot of notoriety as a team in all the state like uh, organizations up in Albany. I got invited to go speak at all these events. Um, and I started to kind of get involved in this like agile space. And I really loved it. And um, I was there for about four years also. I guess that's my, my mark. It's like I hit four years and I'm out of there. And you know, millennials, they're 18 months and out. Yeah, well, same. We, we are 18 months and out. <laughs> I last a little longer. Well, if, see, if there's an alignment, if there's a real alignment, yeah. then it, they could go for a long time. Yeah. So, um, at yeah, but you're, you're coming from, from an era where it's like you spend 30 years at the company, you get your retirement package, and uh, you know, you'll be taken care of. Did you say I come from an era? I think, I, you don't? I think that's the first time anyone's ever said that to me. You don't? Are we in the no, same? But I, I agree with you. We're not in the same generation. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, so, yeah, anyway, jeez. I left there in, I think, 2010, and I was really getting involved in like this concept of bringing teams uh, into a more lean, adaptive, agile way of working. Yeah. So I started getting into coaching, agile and coaching. You were the scrum master. Yeah, I was a scrum master, but I moved out of that role and I started to decide I'm going to start teaching people how to do what I do. Uh huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So here's. Yeah. I have questions, but I want to hear. Yeah, I yeah, want to yeah. hear what, what what that's about. Well, I mean, I while I was at DOT, I started a a company that was a consulting company. And I said to myself, as soon as I get my first client, I'm gonna quit my job yeah. and I'm gonna figure out what happens next. Okay. So I got my first client, it was only for three months. And I was like, oh my God, that's only a three month job. Exactly. But I was making, you know, like three times the amount of money I was making as a consultant. Now what year are we talking, give me a, a year. Uh, 2010, 2010, so, 2011. Interesting. So you did just four years, three years after the crash. So these things are good. That's yeah, really when improving. things are getting yep. good again. Yep. So it makes sense. Yeah, where and, you can uh, have where you can have a high, falutin, floofy poofy strategy oriented job. That's right. That's right. I was lucky. I mean, the timing was good, but that that career path brought me in a new trajectory because what that allowed me to do was to be able to go to dozens and dozens and dozens of companies over the last ten years, working embedded with their teams and their leadership, learning about how they build products, learning about what felt what kind of failures they might have and then helping them with continuous improvement and I was I just knew I'm going to absorb all of this information and this is eventually going to be beneficial to me as a entrepreneur at some point in time so you know I, I was working with small little New York City startups social media video streaming companies to you know, huge banks um, traveled to Europe did that for a while you know did some coaching there um, so I got you know I got a pretty good exposure and it was 
it's been fascinating work. Now, what was this line about you teaching somebody else to do what you do? Well, I mean, so I wasn't, so as a coach, you know, you kind of like facilitate and you teach sometimes by demonstration and sometimes by making suggestions or guidance. And sometimes you do just straight up training. So I also was providing training to some of the product development teams and leadership. Um, I was able to speak from a non-academic perspective. You know, I was able to speak from a person who has actually tried the things that I'm talking about and failed at them a lot of times. Yeah. And so uh, it gave me, yeah, it gave me a little bit more credibility, I think, when I talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you, you did the, you know, consulting for 10 years as an, as an agile strategy coach. Uh, so we're about halfway. How did um, Roxy enter the equation? But there's one more. Okay, let's go. So there's for one the quick. I'll, I'll tell you quickly. So Kurt came just back. Just one more thing. Yeah, just one more thing. So Kurt, we can cross. So I, I'm sensing. Just be quickly. Kurt is a good thing in your life. Yeah, he's a good. He's a good guy. <laughs> Whenever Kurt's involved, interesting things are happening. Interesting things happen. So Kurt. So I bought a it's building. Like a I bought a small building in upstate New York. Um, I started making some money and I was able to um, think about investing in real estate. So I wound up buying some real estate and one of the properties that I bought had eight rental units in it. So I was, was getting- it a headache to deal with all the tenants? It was exciting and a headache. I, I renovated the whole building or in like 80% of the building. So there was a renovation project going on, which I was hands-on with quite a bit. Uh, I did some of the design work for some of the apartments. Uh, so that was exciting and it was exciting to then get it rented. But the thing that was annoying to me was that every month I was getting a paper check. Uh -huh. So this is in maybe 2013, I think, when I bought the building. Um, so we collecting this paper check and this is before like, you know, Venmo. Zelle and all these services that you could just like, you know, send money to somebody zero really quickly. There's PayPal, but it was, PayPal was annoying. So well, they, take a, they take a fee, that's Yeah, it. they take a fee. So I was telling Kurt this, I'm like, you know, we should just build this platform where you could just pay your rent online. Yeah. And you can, you know, as a landlord, you can create That's why you want to know, that's why you want to know how I paid my rent. Yeah, I was I so it was a curious. weird question yeah. until I understood the context. Right. <laughs> so it's still a weird question. <laughs> But um, so we were like, yeah, I think we should try this. So we, we did talk to a few landlords and asked them, would you use this thing? We talked to some renters, would you use it? That was the extent of our product market research. Um, and, you know, he and I were handy enough to be able to build it. So we did. We got users. We actually started making a little bit of money. Um, it was never going to be extremely profitable. So we were charging a, you know, a fee on the landlord side, but not on the tenant side. And so we were collecting fees on that, but it was bound to be ripped off uh -huh. because the model allowed people to create these fake profiles and send money to themselves as a renter. Okay. And as a landlord, right? So, so couldn't you just make some quick code change to make that impossible? Well, we didn't really figure it out until we lost a lot of money. Uh oh. So what happened was there were some um, bad actors that got into the system. They 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 hacked us. Yeah. So that was our first problem. We we fixed that problem. Then 
another set of bad actors <clears throat> got in and they were using stolen credit cards and paying their rent with stolen credit cards. Murphy's Law, what can go yeah. wrong will go wrong. So in the tune of like forty-five, fifty $50,000, we got ripped off. Yeah. And so Kurt and I, being uh, people of integrity, decided we're going to eat the money. Yeah. And we're going to pay the people who got defrauded. There was really nothing that we could do. We could have declared bankruptcy. We could have closed the business down. I'm like, all right, it's a lesson learned, I guess. I'm not sure what else we can do. We're going to pay it back. So we did. And we sustained that business for a little bit longer. And we saw that there was just too much risk in it. And at the same time that was happening, Venmo started to show up on the horizon and other services like that. And it sort of invalidated the business model anyway. Yeah. So we said, all right, close it up. That's it. We're done. So that's where, uh, that's the end of the other story. So what was the, the genesis of Roxy? How did the idea come to you? I got this house, bigger house. My wife and I had more kids, so we had to get a bigger place. And we started to have these bigger parties and you know, it'd be like 30 people, 25 people, 40 people. And I was like working these parties in such an annoying way that I just didn't spend any time with my friends, my guests. And it was like, got to the point where I was literally joking around like, we need Uber. We need an Uber for party staff. That's what we need. So I wish there was a way. And I started to look around at restaurants. I would make phone calls to people at these that own restaurants and say, hey, I'm having a party. Anyway, I can get one of your waiters or bartenders to come. And they're like, nah. They, they <laughs> no. Why do you, so you probably went direct to the waiters. Yeah. And everyone was like, eh, I don't know my schedule, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just didn't know enough people. It's not like I'm hanging out talking to waitstaff all the time, asking them what their availability is for a party I might have in three weeks. Right. So it happened again and again and again. And I was like, you know, this probably could be an idea. I was like, this could be an idea. We could maybe make this happen. Um, so I started, I was coaching at a company called You Now, right in- uh, I know that. Oh. that What's the Israeli guy? Yes, yeah. So I was coaching there. So now, now we have a reason to get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I met up, uh, I was working with this guy named Dax and I was kind of just shooting the shit with him and I'm like, hey, here's this idea. What do you think about this idea? And I trusted him. I thought he was a good guy. I thought, you know, like he would be a good person to maybe build something with. He was- a, What happened to Kurt? A, a, Kurt was not in this space. Kurt and I were like, all right, we gotta take a break from doing some stuff. Yeah. Still our friends. But it was, you know, it just, that timing with uh, me coaching at, New, at you now, they were building mobile apps. I wanted to be a mobile app. I didn't know anything about mobile app development. Um, so, you know, Dax was like, they're one of the best engineers. So I bounced the idea off of him and you know, like, let's just do, do some research and try to find out if this is even like a viable option. So we did that for a few months, um, did some surveys, Went around to tons of restaurants and bars in New York, uh, just asking people what they thought, and we got really good feedback. So, yeah. tell me about like what what kind of what was the questions you were asking? Well, there is you know it's a double sided market, so there's people like us who might want to have a party, and there's people who might want to work it. So you have to ask different types of questions. So for the workers, you know, we would just go to a restaurant, eat, go to a bar, have a drink. We talk to the staff. We'd say, hey, if there was this platform where you can you know, I like create a profile, 
put in your schedule, um, and then get like jobs on the fly, be like a freelancer, would that be something that you'd be interested in? As sure. a worker. As a worker. What would you like to get paid if you were getting this job? You know, like what's your rate? What would you be happy with? Would you work on a Friday night on a job like this and not work at your bar? You know, like these types of questions. And we started to like more formalize those question sets and create surveys. And we did some paid app, you know, paid surveys. So we put an ad out, give away, you know, 50 bucks if you, you're a lucky uh, So you were person. going really heavy on the validation. Yep. Why did you validate? It's because you read the Lean Startup book? I did read the Lean Startup book, um, but not until after I started Roxy. I just had, um, you know, just from my, my experience coaching, seeing what teams have been doing, you know, for market validation, and also just having a brain at this point, knowing like, all right, I failed at these things. I can't repeat that mistake. How do I not repeat that mistake? I need to, I need to verify and vet this idea before I really go too deep into a rabbit hole. Exactly, like so many entrepreneurs, and that's the entire purpose of the show, I fell into this trap. You know, we have the tools to build something. We have, yeah. we, we have the desire to build something, but we fail to validate so that we waste crucial, precious time. Yeah. Um, so, so, so finally, your lessons, you know, pay off for you and, and you're going things about things very strategically. Um, but not always, you know, you get, I think you get into the point where you're like, I have enough information to get to the next stage. Uh. And a trap that I fell in, uh, fell into is that you get overzealous about the product and about building and like getting it out there and then not taking those incremental steps to continuously vet, or, uh, vet and verify the product as it's progressing. Yeah. And it's a ridiculous mistake for me to make personally because when I go and coach product development teams, I'm always telling them this. Yeah. So it's like, here I am. In not this, eating your own dog not food. Not eating my own dog food. And so we did course correct that. We did make those improvements. We did release very early um, in like a beta, alpha and beta Now what, give me a chronolo chronology. What year are we talking? So this is in 2018. Okay, so just yeah, very just recently. Last year. Yeah, I mean, we started the idea, like generating the ideas in 2017 at the Roxy Hotel, yep. which is where we came up with the name. Um, but it, it took us until Dax could leave his job. Um, we raised a, a friends and family round for him to be able to do that. It, it took us until the beginning, uh, sorry, spring of 2018 before we actually started building it. And so, so here's the interesting yeah. thing. How do you convince somebody to leave their job? I mean, that is. It was just a personal thing. I mean, it was more about like the the faith and trust that we could build something together. That both of us had the brain power to do it. We had the willpower to do it. We knew we didn't know everything, um, but we were able to figure stuff out. And I believe that in him. He believed that in me. Um, and, and, and we both believed in the idea enough so to for him to leave his job and for me to drastically scale back the work I was doing in order to build it too. Yeah. Yeah. Was there some kind of feedback? Oh, we're going on an island. Yeah. Was there some kind of feedback that you got, you know, like that said, okay, this gives us more confidence. Let's go quit our jobs. Let's go full in on this. Um, trying to think if there was like a pivotal moment where that happened yeah i think it was just the layering of feedback over time and getting feedback from people that we trusted who were in 
in a similar space or who had other startup companies that exited or were... Okay, so here's, here's what I want to know. Give me a concrete step of like, what was the first thing you actually did to build Roxy? Give me like the first night you, you ran a test or a story, a story that's like that. Um, trying to think. I mean, the first night that we ran a test was a barbecue in Brooklyn uh, in August. So it took us maybe four months to build one part of the platform. So we didn't even have the host, the, like people like us, the host side of the app, that wasn't even built. We just had the worker side. So we simulated the host experience. We were like, before so we even build it. It was your own party. My, yeah, it was our own party. So we had uh, onboarded a few, maybe, I don't know, 12 to 15 workers in Brooklyn. And we're like, you're gonna get a party invite at some point, you know, open up your app. As soon as you get the push notification, apply for the job. Uh, so we did that in August and it worked. So, so immediately on the first time, like you actually had people wanting to work. Yep. We had no payment platform yet plugged in. I mean, this is how like bare bones it was. I, it was I, think, just, I think it's great. Yeah. Because if you, if you build it before they're like ready to come, it's not, I, yeah, yeah, we paid them by check. Come. They won't always come if you build it. Yeah, we paid them by check. There you go. So they showed up. Um, they were able to find the location. We didn't tell them where it was. They showed up. The job ended. Everything worked. We wrote out a check. We handed it to them. We went back and we did some pro uh, product improvements after some interview sessions with the, the users. Um, we did another test about, I don't know, maybe a month later. Same kind of thing. Uh, we kept on doing these tests until the end of November, early December. Um, and we did our final test. And we're like, okay, by that time we had the host app, a version done, payments were integrated, reviews and ratings were going between the both uh, sides of the platform. And we're like, all right, let's just keep fine tuning it a little bit more. January, let's do a launch. Let's just, you know, not launch. It was like, we'll put it on the app store and see what happens. So what happened? Not much. Exactly. Um, you know, we didn't, we, but we wanted it to be kind of low key because we knew that there were issues with scaling. Um, the things that you hadn't, the unknown unknowns, things that you hadn't considered. There were also the known issues that we just didn't have time to develop out or correct. Uh, like for payment, like error handling and payments, um, location problems. I mean, there was just these weird little things. But we were like, okay, we'll do a soft release. No one's going to know about it. And no one knew about it. Uh, so we were able to then keep iterating on it. We did start to get some users just organically. Um, and about two or three weeks after we launched or, you know, released it to the app stores, we decided to put a couple of ads out and they did absolutely nothing. We, do, we did not know what we were doing. Like we re legitimately do, did not know how to promote this thing. And we didn't have anyone on our team to help us with that. But we didn't need that person just yet. But what so, was the ad for? Was it for the buy side, the sell side? Both. So okay. we, were doing, we were trying to get both people on. Right, which is yep. creating a two-sided marketplace you know, it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're, you're, you're focusing on both. Which Product one placement. Up, which one ended up being more important for you to, um, to push? Like, did you need more 
party hosts or did you need more workers? Always need more party hosts. Right, because the party host is the, the, is the generator yep. of everything, yeah. the genesis. But the interesting thing is, is that we just didn't understand how to actually promote or like what the right messaging was on Facebook or Instagram. So it got a little frustrated. The other thing is that they're they're oversaturated at yeah. this point. Yeah. They're, there's almost no like point in, in, in yeah. paying for it. So on a whim, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna throw a $5 ad workers. Yeah. I put together like very straightforward. This is what the, the, the product is. We don't have a lot of work. I even said that in the ad. I was like, but sign up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just put the $5 ad in. And within like 24 hours, we had 150 people sign up from that one so silly placement. Workers is good, workers. but you still need hosts. Yeah. So um, we did start getting hosts on that ad. So people were coming in and downloading, downloading the app. We, so one of the things that I should say is that we measure and track everything. Yeah. So in every ad, in every tap on our app, we're tracking information, not personal information, but like how did they get there? It makes so much sense you had success on because Facebook and Instagram are totally oversaturated. Yeah. So we did get some users from that. We got a lot of signups, a lot of verifications happening on our platform. And about February, so that's where it got, gets a little bit interesting, I think. So we started to build our team a little bit. We um, had, um, by this time, we had two other guys that were helping out. We have some advisors too, I should mention, uh, which are extremely valuable for any startup. You need to get a good advising team. So tell me about your advisors. Um, well, one of the advisors I met at UNOW, um, another advisor I met at the Roxy, um, and their names are Peter and Maddie. Um, but they really have been more of an asset to me personally as I navigate the wars of being a CEO and being a founder and trying to understand like what's the landscape ahead of me? Like what's my next step? How do I do promotions? How do I do product market fit? How do I structure my company? How do I, you know, um, do a pitch like all of these things this is where you know an advisor is a great sounding board and you sorry and you have to trust them you have to trust that they're actually going to give you good advice and you know they're not doing it for free I mean there is an equity stake um, that they get you know so it's a very small percentage but it's a it's a token thank you essentially for their participation. Now, I thought Paris Hilton was one of your advisors. So she's not one of our advisors. She's actually on our team. I'm gonna to get to that right now. So, if you want me to. Yeah. Actually, it fits into the timeline. So in February, I ran another set of ads. We started running also some Facebook ads. Got a little bit of success with those. Still the ones that were generating the most interest. Yeah. February uh, 12th, we get, we get a notification that there's a party. So we were getting all these notifications. Anytime a user did anything that was exciting, we notified ourselves. So I saw that there was this big party in NoHo in Manhattan. And um, it was like from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Sure. And it had- I Professional think, parties. Yeah, it was like, yeah. I think they were asking for like six workers to show up. And uh, it was the biggest one we had on our event. And I'm like, what? what is going on here? This is crazy. Like, did they make a mistake? Like maybe they made a mistake. They didn't want six people or they didn't want it to be 10 PM. Maybe they thought it was 10 AM, whatever. So I called up the host. I got the number off our, out of our data. And I was like, Hey, because I was calling all of the users. Anytime an event happened, I would call them up as many as I could to get their feedback. 
So I was like, hey, my name is Pat, blah, blah, blah. And this guy named, the guy who picked up, his name was Glenn. And I was like, hey, um, I just want to make sure everything's good with the app. Do you have any feedback? Uh, I noticed it's a pretty big party. Did you make a mistake? You know, he's like, oh, no, it's just a big party. You know, it's, uh, it's for a celebrity birthday party. I was like, oh, cool. He's like, I really love your product. Your product is, it, this Roxy is amazing. I really love it. It was so easy to use. It's great. I was like really excited about it. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm excited that you're using it. So I got off the phone with him and I called up every one of the workers that were signed up to work his event, which was the next day. Yeah. So it was the 12th and his event was on the 13th. And um, so I said, listen, please don't be late. Show up on time. Make sure you're wearing this. If you show up on time, if you show up earlier than when you're supposed to be there, I'm going to pay you an extra 25 bucks. Sure. I just so wanted to go sensed, well. You sense that this was super important. Yeah. So you like gave it white glove kind of service. Yeah. I just didn't want them to screw up. And so they're like, sure, no problem. So every one of the people that were signed up for the job, they showed up on time. I paid them the extra 25 bucks. And I was like, when it's done, I'm going to call you the next day. I want to get your feedback. So I called them the next day. I was like, how was the party? Did the app work? Blah, blah, blah. And the first person I talked to, they're like, yeah, it was sick party. It was for Paris Hilton and, you know, whatever. I was like, that's kind of weird. So I called up the next person. And a few days later, I called up Glenn again. I was like, hey, you know, thanks for using the app. And he said, yeah, it was for Paris. And um, I told her about the, you know, she, she saw the app. She used the app with me. And I didn't know that. And um, she was like, he was like, she wants to meet up with you and yeah. talk to you about maybe doing something with you. And I was like, okay, sure. Were you like quaking in your boots? No, not really. You know, the thing that made, it was kind of surreal because we had only been in the app store for like three weeks. Right. And so I was like, this is just too good to be true. It's kind of weird. Like she's it's Paris Hilton. But what makes it so funny for us is that Peter, our advisor, a year earlier, we were sitting at some, maybe at the Roxy, and he said, you know what you guys need? You need an influencer. You need someone like Paris Hilton, yeah. who's going to help promote the app for you in like the Hamptons in New York and LA. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> like that's ever gonna happen, right? And then a year later, she uses the app. So I was like, that is really weird. So I went out to LA uh, like three or four weeks later, met up with her. Uh, we chatted for like 15 minutes. Um, and she gave me some of her thoughts about Roxy and she was like, um, I want to talk more about it with you. But it was, I showed up the day that she was having this massive party in her, one of her LA homes. And so she was like, you're going to come to my party tonight, right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come. So I went to the party and I was like, I have to find her business manager. Right. Like, so I waited, I like hung out, did my partying there and you know, which was fun uh, but I was like sourcing out this guy I knew who the guy was it's like I'm gonna find him and I'm just gonna wait for my moment to talk to him and set up that next meeting yeah and so I did it was 2 30 in the morning and the party was still going on but I noticed people were leaving so I started to wait outside and I got him I was like hey Nick Paris said she wants to have another meeting he was like yeah she can't stop talking about this can you come out next week and I was like sure so went out the following week met with her for the day for like half a day 
um, and we kind of like worked through what we were thinking as a partnership as like her involvement. And it took us probably four months of kind of like working through this idea. And in August, we got an agreement with her and she came on to our team. So was the business, you know, growing on its own? It was, we didn't really spend, we just didn't have the money to put into promotion. Um, you know, we spent a few thousand dollars really over the last 10 months on ads. Um, and we were okay with that because, you know, we're being lean and also by, by not growing quickly, which we really didn't have an option to not grow quickly, but by not growing quickly, we were able to assess every single event that happened and get as much feedback as we needed. Now, he, yeah, here's some questions. Are these employees or contractors? They're independent contractors. Um, so, that, and that's something that's an interesting thing that we're dealing with right now is because of, you know, what's going on with Uber and Lyft and, and the, whole, yep, the whole gig economy. Yeah. Um, we're sort of reevaluating that model. Um, and we're doing something that's going to be very interesting, I think, for uh, independent contractors on our platform, which I'm not going to really, don't want to really talk about yet. But we're going to be hopefully launching this idea in the early part of this year. But it's to be helpful to them, to make their lives a little bit better. That's the, the plan. So have you taken on outside investment besides your uh, friends and family round? Uh, not yet. We. We just started raising, uh, you know, um, trying to raise a seed round in September. And um, we did get a, one investor to make a commitment toward that seed round. So that's our first investor. But, you know, we're not going to close that until we get the rest of the, the balance of the funds. Are you, is it, is it raise or die or? No, that's a good thing. So, you know, we're able to sustain the model right now. We're not making a lot of money. Uh, but it's also not costing us a lot to run. Um, I'm not, you know, completely uh, unemployed. You know, I'm, I'm actually still doing some consulting, um, which is helpful because it makes it just that much easier to keep it going until that moment where we get the funds and we can pivot. So, um, so, so, so pivot, like, where do you think this company needs to go? Like, is party planning not enough? Is, is party staffing not enough? Well, pivot, I mean, personally pivot. So for our team, so there's, you know, when we raise some of that cap, well, when we raise the needed capital, most of the money will be going towards promotion and the rest of it will be going toward bringing one or two people on a more full-time capacity. Um, but from a product standpoint, party planning isn't the ultimate end all part of this platform. There is uh, like a social aspect to it that we are, uh, currently developing and we hope to have something out by the end of uh, by the beginning of you know 2020 maybe january at the earliest but it kind of wraps in this notion that you know people are social we want to talk about parties we want to have fun let's enclose it inside of roxy and allow the workers and the hosts to be able to communicate with one another i mean they're already using the app for that purpose so let's give them that platform to so, do that. Um, two questions. Like, sure. is it only available in certain areas or, yep. or do you have like unlimited range? And 
No. So this is part of the research and, you know, keeping your eye on your competitors is what led us to make this decision of geofencing the app. So one of our, one of the early competitors that were um, around back in the beginning of 2019 are really no longer a competitor of ours because what they did is they said, we'll just open it up to the US and they made it look like they're available in every single city. And so they completely diluted their resources. And when you download the app in Des Moines yeah. and there's no one there to work, exactly, it's a frustrating experience. So we saw that happening and we're like, we're not gonna do that. We're just gonna concentrate in New York right now. We're just gonna figure out how to make the market work what are the levers that we need to, to press and understand that before we decide to scale it out to another place. So, so Roxy is New York only? It's New York and LA, but not unofficially LA. I mean, it's because of, um, you know, we, had, or, uh, we had a lot of organic use in LA, but because of our location in New York, this is why we decided to make New York the, the first market that we're really concentrating on. I think it makes a lot of sense to you know have it constrained to one location at first until you figure out what the secret sauce is yeah it's a double-sided market you, it would be foolish i think uh ill-informed to do it any other way i mean that's exactly what uber did and you know when, when they launched they didn't launch in every city they concentrated got it right in one location before they went and built it out exactly but new york is weird <clears throat> because it's a double-edged sword in a different way, which is um, Airbnb is not in, in New York, you know, because of regulation. Um, and New York is like, it's both really tough to do business in, but it's also, there's a lot of business here. Yeah. And the space that we're in, it, so if you look at, like at the, the two sides of the country, you have LA, New York City, in some ways, the demographic is very similar. Ooh, here's a yeah, so the LA, New York City markets, I mean, on the surface, they seem similar from like a demographic standpoint, but with the marketing test that we've done, it's actually quite different. And the response is quite different. And the fact that when you look around New York, 98% of the population is living in an apartment, right? And so the space is an issue. All right, so party sizes are smaller and millennials are not having as many parties. Yeah. Right, so it's a, it's an interesting problem. Uh, it's about awareness. In LA, there are more parties, space is not an issue. And from a worker standpoint, workers can drive to the locations. The distance isn't so much of a limiting factor. So move factor. the company to LA. Well, no, not yet. Uh -huh. But there is a lot of business in New York. I mean, so the, the addressable market size for us on the, on the customer side is over a million people. So that's, you know, that's a pretty substantial base to work with. And so far, the response has been pretty decent. I guess we can't walk that way. So, um, let's, like, let's talk about the growth uh, how is this thing growing slowly yeah um, you know we don't give it, give have it, yeah give me a better CEO spit on that I'm editing this out <laughs> well I mean that's the honest truth so it's like you know you have to feed that fire you have to feed the fire of growth you can 
in our our product is not something that people need, right? So you have to tr create awareness. People don't think about hiring uh, staff for events or parties that they're throwing. It's just not in their it's not in their radar, right? So it's like. You would, you know, six years ago, would you get into somebody's private car? Would you Hell go no. and rent somebody's <laughs> private apartment? No, you. it's just not something you think about. Yeah. So so there's that awareness problem that we're, we've been addressing and getting in front of that. Let's do 35th, because 34th is just not going to be fun to walk up. Yeah. Um, so the, the good news is that when we do any type of promotion, when we do any type of marketing and advertising now that we figured out how to focus on the right demographic and target so well. what is the right demographic um so you know it's more about like the the, the ethnographic psychographic characteristics of the users like on facebook and instagram like if we concentrate on just those two platforms we're now able to target the hosts better. We've we've done so many tests now that we've able to fine tune. Can you say what kind of host you're looking for? Yeah, I mean it's uh, you know basically anyone that's legal drinking age up to about the sweet spots around 45, 50 years old, like up. It's like this 25 to 45 year old uh, slice, you know. So millennials know Gen X, yes. Yeah, millennials. I'm not sure of yet. Um. So that's on like on the social media side, you know, there's a uh, Google ad campaigns that we've run, which have been very successful, at least, you know, for the limited amount of funds that we had to do it. Uh, we were able to get in front of our primary competitor, which is Thumbtack. Uh, we were finally able to figure out what is the thing that we need to advertise? How do we target those placements in a way that when somebody searches for rent a bartender, we come up first. Now we do, which is really great. But it's only when we're running those campaigns. Thumbtack is. Hold on, this is this is yeah. guerrilla marketing. What? This way. Yeah, but we have to go down that way anyway. Okay. What about guerrilla marketing? So what do you mean? Like explain what your what your thoughts are on that. Just like showing up at parties, you know. Well, I mean we we can't really do that. Um, we have had some thoughts about, you know, so Paris is going to get involved starting the beginning of this year uh, in a more public way. So, she, I mean, she works with us on a regular basis, but she's we can't really leverage her yet. So we're going to be doing that in January or February when we have a launch event. And to answer your question, one of those ideas was for her to give away a guest drop-in. Um, you know, like you would have to sign up and say, yeah, I'd like to be entered for that. But that's not really guerrilla marketing. It's more of like a publicity stunt. Um, the guerrilla marketing, I'm not really sure how that would, you know, what we would do. And have you tried influencer marketing? Just paying influencers to... Uh... Yeah, we did. Um, we, we had a mild success with, a, I'd say, a minor mid-range influencer. So 50K to 500K? Yep. So they, um, it's important when you do things like that is that you track how, how it's working, right? So indeed, I mean, just because they have 500k, they could have paid for them. Yep. They could be, um, they could have been 500k that they had, you know, five years ago, and now they've sort of dropped yep. off. But you want to track, you know, and this is, I think, a good lesson for people. You know, when you get, when you get an influencer, it doesn't matter if it's a minor one or a major one. 
when they're doing a promotion for you, you need to know where your customers are coming from. So when they post something on Instagram, those campaigns, those promotions need to be structured in a way so when they tap that link or whatever it is that they're pushing, that you're tracking that install. Yeah. Right, so everything gets linked from that. We can actually- Invite code. Yeah. Well, there's a great tool called Branch. I don't know if you know what Branch nope. is, but Branch is all about attribution tracking. Yeah. And it embeds like some metadata inside the URL. Uh-huh. So you can see, <laughs> so you can see uh, where people are originating from. Yeah. And it's a very good tool, Branch.io. place to hang out right here. This is uh... I'm joking, this is terrible. Uh, yeah, look at this. This is not, this is not uh... New Yorkers get antsy. We don't, we, yeah. if we're made to wait, we don't like it. If I wasn't hanging out with you, I'd already be across the street. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great sound bite. Um, <laughs> safe, safety's the number one priority. That's what I hear. Uh, Corporate, business to business, you doing any of that? Because there's gotta be a lot of corporate parties. There are. Um, so we, in like the beginning of this year, you know, as we're trying to figure out, okay, do we want to try to go into more like B2B side to try to help with the corporate planning, event planning, professional planning. And what we found out is that, well, on the larger businesses, they have an in-house person that does that. So you could scratch that off the list. The smaller size businesses and restaurants who need staff augmentation, there's already platforms out there. Like Jit Chat Joe. Jit Chat Joe. Huge, I'm not huge, I mean, they're, they're very successful. Wanalo, there's another company called Paired. They've nailed that model really well. Like, and they are only B2B. You cannot even sign up as an individual. You have to be a business. So pivoting for them is not a realistic thing. We are competing for the staff, but the staff, as we found out, they'll take, they'll, I mean, like you get in one of these cars, they're gonna have Juno, Lyft, and Uber on right. your phone, right? So it doesn't really matter on that side. We're not going to compete on the B2B side because it's flooded. So as a host, why would a host want to use Roxy as opposed to Thumbtack or TaskRabbit? Or Craigslist. So, <laughs> yeah, so the thing is with- I call it Creeplist. Yeah. So the, the, the way we've structured our workers is that everything is fixed flat rates, right? So you don't have to negotiate as you would on any of those other platforms with the person. We, they're paid directly through our platform. Are you um, holding the money as a third party nope. escrow? Nope, not at all. So, um, so the money goes direct from the post goes, to- Exactly. We use the exact same payment processing um, method and process and provider as Lyft does. So they, it's a, uh, it's a gig on demand payment model. Anyway, so, you know, if you go to Thumbtack, if you respond to, if you're a supplier on Thumbtack, like a waiter, uh, and you get a request for a job, it costs that person money to respond. It costs the, the, the job seeker? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And the quality level is only as good as the ratings and reviews that they provide. They're not actually providing any insurance. They're not providing any vetting of the talent or the workers. So that's how we're different. We're actually providing insurance to our hosts. We are, um, we have a degree of vetting. 
that we provide to the host, you know, that's like on the verification side, then we allow their profiles to be exposed to the host so they do some additional vetting and they can talk to those people directly, not have to pay anything for them uh, to, to communicate. So yeah, I would say our primary differentiator is that we are, we're doing vetting, we have insurance, we allow for communication and we're completely transparent with the pricing, which is pretty good so far. And there's some other product differentiators that we'll be um, introducing very soon, which I'm very excited about. Can you give us a little hint to what direction these might be? It's really just on the social space and also on the um, quality of life space for the workers. So making the, the um, worker have a better uh, professional life. But I'll just I'll leave it at that for now. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So unless you think I didn't cover anything, I have a final question for you. Sure. Okay, so um, how do you think you've grown as an entrepreneur through through Roxy? And I know you've had a, a, a decent track record, mm -hmm. a, a great track record. You haven't hit a, a home run yet, but I think that all of that is scar tissue. And, and yeah. I think you're in the, it, so how do you think you've grown? I'd say being honest with myself that I don't know everything and probably know uh, there's more things I don't know than I do know and that it's okay not to know those things as long as you have the uh, ambition and drive and the, the ability to seek that information out I think that's where success will come uh, so I think like the the things that I learned over the last you know decade or so of trying and failing trying and failing had some success had some success in my personal you know consulting business has sort of illuminated that for me it's like you need to have that awareness that you're not an island by yourself you actually need help yeah and that's a good thing